Hey, before we start this episode, just want to remind you that the Fearless Woman's Guide to Starting a Business is available everywhere that you like to buy books, and you can get it in paperback, Kindle, and even as an audiobook. I'll have links on where you can purchase in the podcast notes. Okay, back onto the show. You are listening to One Broken Mom, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness about mental health, parenting, and self-improvement. I'm the host, Ami Quirconi. One Broken Mom is not a family show. It is intended for adults only and may contain adult language. Sometimes the topics are serious, but you can count on the episodes to be entertaining. Also, One Broken Mom is not offering any psychiatric or medical diagnosis. We're just here giving away useful and important information. So if you're ready to hear real talk by real people so that we can all get better together, then you're in the right place and welcome. All right, everybody, welcome back to this episode. I have with me um, Lindsay Hendel, and she is a specialist who works with people through her, um, her group, Five Sites, that are highly sensitive. And her uh, special powers is to be able to bring out everybody else's special powers that they have so that they can have more fulfilling lives, careers, and businesses, um, and just do the awesome things that we're all designed to do, which is to bring our, our light to the world and, and share our gifts with everybody else. Um, Lindsay and I had an opportunity to actually meet and get to know each other a few weeks ago. And in the course of the conversation, as I was learning about her and, you know, what she does, um, what we, what we came up with, it kind of fell out of the conversation was what a fantastic episode this would be to actually talk about what it means to be considered a highly sensitive person and how that's different from being maybe deep feeling or empathetic, which I, I believe like, and coming from my own perspective, sometimes I get them all interchanged or I'm not really sure what the differences are. Um, but there are people, you know, and I, I feel like one of those that sometimes I'm surprised and caught off guard by how much I soak up of a, you know, the situation, the emotions, and I have to detach and, um, disassociate a little bit. And so I think this is going to be a really great conversation for people that are maybe uncertain about some of these responses and their integration with the world that could be, um, misunderstood. And so welcome to the show today, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me. Well, so let's start off with, um, you know, I always like to ask when people find themselves in a niche, you know, wh- whether it's in mental health or business or whatever it is, how they arrived at it. Cause a lot of people spend a lot of time kind of floating around the edges in the general of the, you know, uh, of the world. And so when I see people that really become laser focused in on something, I'm curious about what the journey was to get to that place. Um, and so how is it that you ended up where you are today in working with highly sensitive people and, and providing coaching and, and services and, um, and help to them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have so many kind of key turning points, defining moments of our lives, those ahas that suddenly hit us in the face and just ask us and really call us forward to completely pivot sometimes how we're showing up, the decisions we're making, the career choices, everything. And so discovering for me um, through the work of Dr. Elaine Aaron, which we have to credit as the guru of of, of identifying and and creating the movement around highly sensitive people, um, coming into contact with the definition that there is such a thing as a highly sensitive person and all the characteristics that go along with it really was a watershed moment for me because all the pieces suddenly fell into place around why I um, had always felt different, why I had, you know, 
had certain characteristics, why I'd struggled with anxiety for so long and um, depression and other kinds of things that, you know, made me feel really different than a lot of people. So that was a really big turning point for me uh, was, was figuring that out for myself. Yeah. And so then, um, you know, what were some of the things that you, prior to having this definition, you were, uh, you know, you talked about anxiety and depression, but how else was this manifesting that it made that you felt like what you were experiencing was not the norm air quotes around normal. Cause that's not a real world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know how you felt like you weren't the same as everybody else. I mean, what were some of those examples? Well, you know, sometimes we, um, we have these certain roles that we kind of fill throughout life. So one role was daughter. One role was um, university uh, student. Uh, One role was mother. And in all of these different roles, I always felt like slightly disconnected. Um, And I felt overwhelmed a lot of the time. And what I just thought was strange about me was how much space I needed to take for myself. Sometimes I, in university, I would be in these parties or I would be around people and I would, I find myself isolating and retreating a lot, just needing to go away and and spend a lot of time with myself. And at the same time, there was like this huge conflict between wanting connection, wanting to be with people and friends, and yet simultaneously just being overwhelmed and tired by it. And it was quite a lonely place to be. I remember going to counseling in university because I was, I was trying to figure out what was going on. Why, why did I feel so strange around people, so much social anxiety, um, but also wanting to be with people, but needing to be alone. So those were kind of some things that um, carried through my entire life. Um, And the same thing happened again with motherhood. And of course, as you know, being a mom, things are so much more intense. Um, And at that point, you know, the intensity of, of the noise of the baby and the disruption of the baby just completely overwhelmed me. And I just had these moments of experiencing just questions, really big questions. Like, am, am I, is this normal? Like, am I just not a capable person of like being happy or maintaining, you know, maintaining my well being? like, what is going on? So those were some moments for me that, that stood out like different points in my life. And then had you questioning what was, you know, what was happening, you know, some of the things that I was thinking about, um, you know, listening to you kind of, you know, talk through that. And I had done some research again. I, you know, I always try to be prepared, (laughs) Um, you know, when I come in and so I'm looking into, um, you know, some of the work around highly sensitive people. And one of the questions that, you know, naturally comes up in my head, is this something that we're born with? Is this something that's actually, um, you know, passed down? Is it a genetic thing? And then, or, or is it something that comes from lived experiences? And, um, and one of the things that I saw, um, was that, that it's possible that the experiences can actually, it can be a bit of both of nature and nurture. Now, where, where do you stand on this in terms of, um, you know, as a highly sensitive person born with this sensitivity? Cause I know we talk about temperament, you know, that some people, I mean, we have a temperament that is part of like the mix of the DNA and it could be part of the epigenetic and, you know, epigenetics again, are the idea that you have DNA, but only parts of it get activated by experiences that you have. And so it's in the DNA, but yet not everybody has the outcome of it because you have to have the right, like, you know, recipe of ingredients thrown in to cause some part of our, you know, our genes to, to pop out and express themselves. 
Um, you know, does that sound something accurate or something in the, in the realm of, um, you know, where the sensitivity comes from? Is it, you know, being born with it, something that's learned or it comes from the experiences or a combination, you know, of all those things. Mm, This is a really fascinating topic for sure. And I think, you know, I've seen different perspectives, people coming from, you know, different ideas about this, which are all really fascinating to consider. So, um, yes, it is. In, is it, is it born? Um, well, according to Dr. Elaine Aaron, yes, a certain portion of the population, about maybe 20% are born with this kind of, uh, sensitivity to them. Um, could it be turned on through experiences? Yeah, I kind of think it could be because, um, I've noticed so many, um, different, people who, who have similar things in their background. And I've kind of been wondering like, oh, does trauma turn it on? Um, does, you know, certain circumstances, um, with families, you know, being, uh, maybe the youngest or having a caregiver role early on in life somehow activate this sensitivity. And then of course there's the spiritual aspect. So I'm not sure if you've ever heard of, um, the term of, of crystal children or star seeds, but mm. from a spiritual perspective, there is this idea that there are a lot of people being born into the world in the last five years. And it's, it's, or 10 years, it's growing exponentially. Uh, people arrive, souls arriving into this planet at this time for, for specific purpose. And they all carry uh, specific characteristics of higher sensitiv- sensitivity and empathy and um, clairvoyant and clairsentient abilities because they are the ones that need to bring more consciousness uh, rising to the planet and healing. So there's those three perspectives. It's really fascinating to consider. It could be all. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I think about, you know, again, you know, the whole show, you know, the arc of one broken mom is actually talking about is talking about trauma and the influences that, you know, uh, the trauma, dysfunction, volatility, you know, especially in our formative years as children and how it influences, you know, us. And again, going back to epigenetics is that, you know, if you're the person who was born in a house that didn't have a lot of the volatility and dysfunction of a, of a traumatic and toxic childhood, you, you didn't need to be as sensitive to the changes and fluctuations in your life. And survival wasn't a day-to-day thing for you. You had the, you had the benefit of safety and security. So I could see where, you know, you um, have the potential for that, but it's not activated like every single day or every single moment, which is then if you actually, you know, have this, this propensity for it, and you had trauma and you had a lot of it, well, then it's heightened and aware because it, it learned through our lived experiences that you needed to be on guard, you know, a lot. And then as your life changes, of course, well, then all that stimulate becomes overwhelming because you don't need it all the time, but yet it's on, you know, all the time and we don't know how to turn it off. Right. Yeah. yeah like a well-sharpened blade, right. The, the muscles, the sensitivity or observational and awareness and interpretive muscles are so strengthened that, yeah, it's, it's challenging to not have them, you know, highly activated all the time. Yeah. Now, so the difference is here, um, because when I think of, uh, excuse me, sensitivity, and since we're, you know, we're on a mental health podcast, it's easy to think of only the emotional aspects to it. But somebody that's actually a highly sensitive person, there's there's more than just an emotional sensitivity here to it, right? There's other there's other things in life that are actually also a factor. Can you describe then what the like the definition then of being 
a highly sensitive person in the bandwidth that it, that it covers? Sure. Yeah, definitely important distinction um, that that a highly sensitive person, uh, right, has sensitivity to all sensations. So emotional is one, but then there's also this, the, the sensations of the body, like how you actually feel your body. Um, think of like clothes, you know, how some, some people are sensitive to tags, uh, and that is a body sensation. So someone will be sensitive, could be overly sensitive to, to touch or just absorb a lot of information through touch. Um, we receive highly sensitive people receive a lot of data, faster processing data from sight, from sound, from smell, from touch. So there's just a lot of general environmental stimuli going on around us all the time, but highly sensitive people are actually more attuned to it and interpret it more intensely, experience it more intensely. So this is kind of what makes it uh, a highly sensitive person different than from what I would categorize as a deep feeler. So in my mind, I sort of categorize people as deep feelers, highly sensitive people and or empaths. And empaths is yet another distinction where you are actually absorbing energy from the environment, from other people, including feeling other people's emotions as your own. Um, And then the deep feeler perhaps is someone who just feels their, their feelings very strongly and very intensely, but doesn't necessarily absorb the rest of the kind of stimuli that a highly sensitive person does from their environment. So the deep feeler has an ability to feel and own their own emotions. They just happen to be maybe, you know, um, you know, I think of like, for example, I I don't know if this counts as deep feeling, but, you know, I find myself crying at ridiculous things on TV shows. Like, you know, I'll watch a a movie and it gets this touching moment, tears rolling down my face, just spot, you know, and I'm just like, oh my, I just feel the whole thing start to come up and I'm just like, oh my gosh, here it comes again, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But what I've seen about with, with empaths, like a, like a true empath, if you were to define it, um, is that there may be some difficulty distinguishing personal feelings from the feelings that they're bringing in from somebody else out there that they're, um, you know, feeling everything means that maybe at times you don't know what your own, your own true feelings may be because you're just taking on like a sponge with everybody else. Um, what they're kind of going through, but deep feelers know their feelings. They're distinct. Is that is that yes. fair? Okay. Yeah, definitely. That that's exactly how I would define the distinction. A deep feeler feels their own emotions only, but very deeply. Like you said, looking at movies or even commercials might trigger some emotional reaction. Um, and that whereas empaths actually feel other people's feelings, uh, like you said, along with. Uh, their own and that there can be very fuzzy boundaries and a lot of confusion about what is theirs and what is someone else's. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, when we talk about then um, uh, these three different kind of, you know, categories, how does somebody know where they land, you know, on the, on the spectrum here, you know, are there diagnostics or tests or surveys for people to be able to take? Because I mean, obviously, you know, you kind of had to, you know, just kind of bump around in the world to figure out that something wasn't quite right, but how can somebody maybe get a shorter path to getting some answers for themselves about what they, what they could be experiencing and, and what's their, you know, you know, which direction they should be going in terms of understanding their, themselves. 
Yeah. Well, I think listening to these definitions is a really great indicator to kind of sense about yourself and observe in yourself. Okay. According to these definitions or distinctions, what, you know, where do I kind of land? Um, And then as far as diagnostic quizzes go again, Dr. Elaine Aaron has a highly sensitive person quiz on her website that will put you at a number because a highly sensitive is a spectrum. So there's actually a whole range between um, she gets a numbering system uh, based on her quiz on where you are between, between kind of like low um, to high and um, you kind of get a sense of maybe the different types of stimuli you might be more sensitive to than others. Mm -hmm. So when, if somebody comes in and they've actually taken and they find out that they're a highly sensitive person, um, you know, what can they do? Is there anything that can be done about that? Like, you know, I mean, you, you work with people in this realm um, because you, Mm -hmm. you got there because of understanding like how you need to get through life. Um, you know, for somebody that has been dealing with this overstimulus and, and kind of overwhelm that comes from the, the world, it feels like, you know, you can't change the world, right? <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. what can, what can a person begin to do if they find, you know, that, oh my gosh, this is the source, you know, of, you know, some of these issues and concerns that I've actually had, what are some changes and, and ideas Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is the really um, fascinating and and kind of fun thing that I work with people on, especially when it comes to leadership, especially when it comes to um, people that are really have this huge vision for themselves. Um, I work with a lot of entrepreneurs, a a lot of people that have started or are working to scale their business, or people that are also in a career, let's say within an organization, and they want to be, you know, rising to the, to a more leadership level, but are holding back, are not going for those positions are not going for those promotions because of this, this uh, fear of overwhelm. And so one of the things that highly sensitive people tend to do is um, set their sights below what they're capable of because the fear of being overwhelmed, the fear of not being able to cope can be so strong. And so what I really love And what I help people do is I help invite people into um, some processes and and ways of learning better, not, I don't want to say coping skills. I want to say thriving skills, right? We don't just get to survive. We get to thrive. And when we take care of ourselves energetically, when we learn to fully embody full trust of ourselves, our special abilities as a sacred ability versus a burden. And when we really learn how to um, get clear on what we want and develop the, the belief and the focus, right? To focus our energy, focus our actions and um, take care of ourselves. Then we get to step out of feeling like everything's a burden, step out of the fear of overwhelm, holding ourselves back and really start to activate our highest gifts in the world and be of contribution and service and impact and create a lot of happiness and income out of our gifts. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think about something like this, like, you know, identifying the, the, the fact that, you know, you've got a highly tuned radar you know, out there and that it, um, it is what it is, right. It's, it's your, it's your gift. It's who you are. It's, I mean, we all have our own, you know, our own, who we are. Um, and then it, it seems like in this, there's a, you know, you're working with people to be able to define where their boundary and where their limit is of their threshold, 
but not say that that's your, that's the most you'll ever be able to get, but just know that this threshold of stimulus is there. And then to come up with ways to be able to say, okay, when we reach that threshold, we need to recharge. I mean, cause that's really what it, I mean, I know for me, it's like, you know, any one of us can be overdone. I mean, in any capacity we can, um, you know, we can stress ourselves out physically. We can stress ourselves out mentally. We can hit the threshold at which we're done and we need to, we need to come back and, and balance ourselves. And with highly sensitive people, those levers are probably a little bit shorter, but that doesn't mean you can't keep pushing and stretching. You just need to know where those, those limits and levers are. And I can imagine that's pretty eye opening for a lot of people that just didn't know that that's what they needed to do or understand or, and to start to set those boundaries for them, you know, so that they could push a little bit further you know, out there and, and stretch themselves a little bit. So mm-hmm. everybody has a different mix of what keeps them balanced and it's finding what the ratios are of that mix and the ingredients to that recipe of what, and it's very unique, right? So there's no kind of one size fits all strategy. And that's why I do such deep, intimate work with people. Um, I don't really have like a too many do-it-yourself courses. A lot of my mentorship is coaching intimately with people because it's all about finding that unique um, mix of things that helps you stay helps you stay balanced. And so, you know, energetic care is something that we get to do for ourselves all the time. It 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 gets to become something that is like brushing your teeth, that is like eating, right? It's, it's non-negotiable for highly sensitive people and empaths to take care of themselves. And so when I say energetic care in my mind, that comes from five places: mental care, right? Mindset work, um, emotional care, releasing emotions that aren't yours, learning how to be a channel and let things go versus holding on to things. Um, and of course, your own emotional resilience. Like what how do we build that? muscle for you. Um, we have the body, right? Our body is a massively important vessel to consider and treat sacredly. And so the energy we get from utilizing our body properly fuels our emotional resiliency, our mindset. Um, then we have spiritual care. And um, sometimes this is left out of the conversation. So I'm a very soulful, spiritual um, person. And I do believe everybody needs soul care. Everybody has a soul, whether they may be aware of it or not, or uh, everybody has the potential to experience themselves spiritually outside of religion, uh, whatever your belief system is, we get to be spiritual people and honor ourselves as as spiritual people um, with and however way you want to do it, again, your way, unique. Um, and then the interconnection. And this is a really, really key piece for highly sensitive people that I also work on is the interconnection with others. Because we have this difficulty, uh, even being in relationship, right? Intimate relationships with our partners, husbands, children, friends, family, um, this nav- how we navigate interconnection because we want to be connected, but are simultaneously often overwhelmed by it or have a lot of fear of, of rejection. So, um, these are kind of these five areas. And that's why I have my company called five sites, because we get to see ourselves differently when we fully activate our power, this energetic care and this power from these five places. Mm -hmm. You know, when we're talking about this, I also think about, um, the, you know, the jokes that you see out on social media of like, you know, the introverts, like it's just this common thing where introverts sign up to do things and then they want to back out of it at the last minute, you know, and what you're describing is that, is that interplay and that, that disconnect between the, 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 the need and the want 
to really have relationships with people, to have friendships. I mean, you know, we are designed as creatures for the connection, you know, the nervous systems to respond to each other. And we know that our health is vastly improved when we have positive relationships with other people rather than just living, you know, as in a silo. Um, but then you've, but then you, I, and I've been this person too, where it's just like, wow, I really regret that I signed up to do this. Cause I'm just not feeling it right now. Like I don't want to, you know, I don't want to go and I can imagine, you know, the worst case scenarios going through my head of, you know, what it means to go out and do this social gathering. And I'm, you know, for me, I, it's the casual party thing that is more or less eh, I'm not into, you know, I can do the extroverted thing, which is obviously go to a, a group and talk and teach and all that other stuff, which is, you know, different. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, how many people that, uh, that call themselves just introverted may actually be highly sensitive and, um, and could be mm-hmm. turning away from opportunities to do some of this self-work and self-improvement to be able to get more out of their life. Yeah. I would say probably a large proportion of introverts are landing somewhere on the high sensitivity spectrum and their coping mechanism is to to be introverted, to isolate, to, to just shut themselves away because it's, it's easier, right? It's easier. Um, so, you know that, yeah, I think it's, it's a great idea for people to consider, um, your listeners considering, okay, am I, am I introverted? Is it, am I just that way? Like, is that really the total sum of my personality or is there maybe this other element that's going on that maybe if I, um, you know, work on, I might actually, yeah, open up my life a little bit more and and not be so tired and not want to um, be alone so much to the point where it is having a a negative effect. I, I think, you know, I take a lot of time for myself. Um, I need, I do need that time and I like my connection. And I do think there could be a certain point where, especially I'm sure a lot of people have experienced this year with the pandemic there, there is a certain balance, right? Where too much of a good thing, too much alone time will, will turn into loneliness, right? Too much extroverted out there connecting time could turn into exhaustion. So it's all about finding the balance. Mm-hmm. Totally. Now, when, uh, do you work with people that then, you know, maybe are not highly sensitive, but are more into the deep feeling or even into the empath realm and, and coaching them on some, you know, ways to be able to, again, navigate and thrive you know, in the world? Yes, absolutely. So in fact, I have a Facebook community called the Bravery Lab, and it is a mix of people. Some are deep feelers, some are empaths, some are highly sensitive, some sort of span, you know, more than one category. And um, it's all about, you know, I, I called it the Bravery Lab, because we often just have to call up the courage to see ourselves more holy, to really step into that permission to say, you know what, I am, I am a sacred being. I am a person worthy of love, of care, of my own devotion to self, to see myself rise to my fullest potential, because not only does it benefit me, but it ripples out into my family, my friends, the community at large. But it all starts from that, that brave thinking like, yes, yes, I can. I am important. And I do deserve to, to be courageous in seeing myself as, as worthy of my desires and, and becoming my full self. Mm -hmm. No, that's amazing. Yeah. And it is, um, you know, one of the things that I noticed too, your work focuses a lot on confidence 
you know, where's the role of confidence in all of this? Cause I mean, you're kind of going through that, like, you know, this worthiness and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and I'd like you to expand then on how your work around the area of confidence helps people believe that about themselves. Um, and, and why, I guess here's the other, the other, you know, I tend to ask like three questions at once and then just lob them out there. Um, but I, I guess I'm, I'm curious about this is why does this lack of worth evolve and, and, and bubble up from being highly sensitive? Like what have you seen as the connection between having this low sense of entitlement or worth with this, um, with this characteristic of being very sensitive to everything, the, the senses around us? Mm-hmm. Yeah, great question. And I have a whole program around this because it is so fundamental, this self-worth piece and this confidence piece and the wound around that, like, why is there that wound there? Why is there that gap there? Why aren't highly sensitive or empathic or deep feeling people just more naturally confident? And the reason is because we grow up in a culture, in a society that has for generations passed down the message and the story that to feel and to be a feeling being is a bad thing. That is a negative thing. That is a weak thing. That there's something wrong with you. If you are not basically like a stone cold, you know, capitalist killing machine, practically. <laughs> um, and there's not a whole lot of generational, um, you know, when you think about it, right, that there's not a whole lot of generational um, understanding of a whole human being. How do we really witness and support someone into becoming a whole human being that honors all parts of themselves? We grow up in a culture that demands that we cut off parts of ourselves, that we put ourselves in boxes, that we say, no, this is okay and that's not okay. This is okay to be this way, think this way, dress this way, love this person, and it's not, right? There's that whole thing going on, which includes being emotional beings. So we grow up being told to go to our rooms for crying for having a tantrum it's seen as oh you're you're trying to manipulate people you're acting out you know like you get a spanking for that or at least you used to <laughs> right you're having a tantrum and you and you get spanked as though you as though as a child you have you know some control over not having a tantrum right um so we get these messages from all over from tv um from parents from educational institutions even to develop this wound with us from very early on that we are less of a person because we feel so deeply. Mm -hmm. And that's where a lot of it stems from. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, you know, so much that, you know, the, uh, and especially, you know, like in this last season, um, you know, and I, in my work that I do outside of the podcast is, you know, emotional intelligence and in, in business and, you know, definitely in the business world, you know, there has been this, you know, there's no room for this. Like that's personal. This is business as if, you know, there is this iron gate between those two things, which we know that there's not, even if we mm -hmm. say there is, there isn't an iron gate between the two things. Um, but you know, I, the other thing I thought about too, is also, you know, how often when a person feels this overwhelm and they withdraw, um, and they, they get classified as being shy. They, it almost is as if they dismiss the experience is like, oh, they're just shy and not, not being able to see that this person's got so much going on inside their inner world that they can't process it and they, they can't share it or talk about it with anybody. And so that's, you know, it's locked in there, um, as if it's again, another, just, you know, 
character flaw, you know, that, um, that their inability, cause we don't, you know, our word with shy has almost a stigma to it as well, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, good or bad, it may be kind of neutral, but, um, you know, to be classified as shy doesn't come off as like, oh, well, that's a leader right there. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. that's a person who's going to make it in life. That's a person who, you know, don't expect much out of them because they're never going to want to, you know, test the waters or, you know, move beyond their safety bubble. Um, but that's a, that's a great point that you bring up there about like, you know, that the emotionality of ourselves has been told that it's too much or that we're, we're too much for other people to handle. And therefore that's a, that's a problem. Um, and we keep perpetuating Mm -hmm. that, don't we, you know, the more we keep shutting each other down, the less we're able to learn the skills to be able to be emotional beings. So it's just this churn of, you know, like every experience after another and generation after generation. Yeah. And I would just put a disclaimer um, that that is my interpretation of the culture that that I've grown up in. And that's not to paint a brush across all cultures. And I I do think there's a lot of um, Indigenous cultures, for example, that actually take more time in the witnessing of a person and have a different way of working and validating people and their whole self and their emotions and everything than than necessarily, you know, could we say like white settler colonial culture does? If that's okay, right, if yeah. that's not too strong, you can <laughs> no. edit that out. <laughs> no, 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 you're fine. You're fine. This is my show. And yeah, I know. And you hit it. And it's, it's fair to be able to say that assessment that, you know, our perspective of, you know, especially in the United States, when we think about a very um, a dominant culture in the U S. Um, and I know you're up in Canada, um, but it's, you know, North America, unfortunately we do you know, bleed some of our best and worst qualities across the borders with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, there's definitely the, um, the can do rub dirt and it's, you know, there's no problem attitude, which is, you know, foundational to this country, you know, the U S I mean, it's like, go be explorers, go be independent, go be tough, mm-hmm. go take you over. Don't need go. anybody. You got to do it yourself. Yeah. Right. Right. And then having somebody who grows up and, you know, and feeling the need to be able, or, you know, feeling the overwhelm again, that, that attunement to this world. I mean, I sit, sit there and think about it. Like it, it makes sense, you know, from a, like a human species standpoint that we have these abilities, right? Like, I mean, it's a safety function, right? Like if you didn't have the ability to witness your environment from a multitude of levels, you might've gotten eaten very early on or died of something or, you know, whatever. And so it's not a, it's not a detriment to be tuned in, um, in this way. It is a superpower, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, but again, if it, if it, if you've got the overwhelm on the factor, it can feel like it's more of a curse rather than a blessing. Yes, absolutely. And that's what makes me so passionate about working with people and building a movement, really, an entire movement of calling forward deep feelers, highly sensitive people and empaths to step into their leadership and to, you know, really come together and see a rise of sensitive leaders everywhere, organizations, nonprofits, businesses, um, businesses of every size, because we really, we need that as a planet, right? Wouldn't you agree? We really need to shift the trajectory of where thinking is and how systems are created. And we are all system upholders, whether we want to admit it or not, and how we change this planet, especially for the future of our children, 
right? With climate change, with all these things that are happening, how do we build a future that is more loving, more livable, more prosperous for everyone instead of just this small few that are benefiting, right? And I really believe, I get fired up and really believing that if we inspire, if I can inspire just one more person today to see themselves differently, to go out and be brave and, and, and start that business that they want to start or, or go into their career workplace with that idea that's been sitting at the back of their mind that they're too afraid to share, right. And get started in their organization, um, to go out and do it. If I can just inspire one person today to heal and find their new sense of wholeness and courage and go out and make an impact, then I have served my purpose for one more day. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. Well, and if any of the listeners are trying to figure out how it is that Lindsay and I cross paths, I think if you can hear it in her voice, you have a deeper understanding of, of why we're talking to each other. Um, yeah, there's a lot of, you know, shared, you know, intensity there around this idea that, uh, you know, I, I do believe that, you know, businesses are opportunities to create big changes. They have a huge role in our economy, in our life, in our culture. And sometimes the this role that they play is too heavy-handed and too negative. And, and so then people, um, you know, don't like the business environment because of some of the bad examples of what businesses can do with all that power. But I have been, and I will always be the type of person that is, you can actually shift that by the people inside of these organizations that if businesses can do profoundly terrible things, the opposite is also true. There is a power within that structure to be able to alter it with the right people in there, with the right hearts and minds in it to be able to also do profoundly great things with it. And that's what's always catapulted me and propelled me to, to be in business um, and to work with you know businesses, organizations, entrepreneurs, and stuff like that is because if you can inspire people to do the good with the business and still make money. That's another thing mm -hmm. in there. Like a lot of people think that, you know, being a good business means you need to be broke. No, that's not good business. That is a nonprofit. A good mm -hmm. business still makes money um, because money is still a very important tool in our system. Um, and that's why, you know, there's going to be several episodes this season where I talk with people about like, again, worth and value and, um, in that, you know, we have to be comfortable in the conversations with money, you know, um, and, and, and bringing that in. So I appreciate, you know, what you doing and helping, um, you know, with people that may feel like there isn't a role for them in this world to be able to really manifest big ideas through, you know, their, through their careers and through their professions because of the fear, um, that there's, you know, that they'll be overwhelmed, um, because there are gifts everywhere for people to, to give and, mm -hmm. and to bring and stuff. Absolutely. So. And we need people everywhere, right? Government, mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> nonprofits, for profits, uh, you name it across the board, education, education, mm -hmm. for sure. So yes, we, we need you people everywhere. <laughs> right, right. Emotional intelligence is the, uh, you know, is going to be is growing into a new, a new currency. Um, it's important. Mm -hmm. There's not enough of it. And yet it's also, um, I think that again, you know, the pandemic, has really, again, shifted people's perspectives about a lot of things, about the, the, the role living in a traumatic experience collectively as a, as a world, what that does, what that means, how that feels. Um, you know, we've had, you know, I've spoken with, uh, you know, the uh, millennial generation, honestly, has been, they sit around and talk more about their brain health and feelings. And I did, and I'm a Gen X 
person. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there's a, there is a change that is coming in here. And the more people that, again, I like your word bravery, you know, it takes bravery to expose yourself, to be vulnerable with your feelings and, um, to know that sometimes they're going to get hurt. You know, you're going to be hurt. You're going to, you know, um, but you feel it and you, um, and your word of channel, you know, when you said channel, I thought the opposite of that is sponge, right? Some of us learned to sponge. We learned to soak the feeling up and hold on to it. And then like, until we either it's oozing and leaking out everywhere, or, you know, um, and you got to squeeze it and release it. But for you saying channel, just, just letting it flow through, you know, um, mm-hmm. and being able to, to do that. I think those are great skills for people. So what are some advice for that you would have for people that actually identify more with the empath um, kind of life experience. Uh, you know, we, we talk about impasse, uh, sometimes as an opposition to, you know, narcissists and relationships and how they can be, um, you know, targets for a person who leans more into the, the narcissism, uh, spectrum in terms of their relatability and relationships with people. But it seems like, you know, empaths, if they, if there's a, a difficulty being able to distinguish, you know, um, or buffer themselves from the emotions that somebody else brings into the space or the room or the conversation, um, that having, you know, some skills or at least some need to knows would be really beneficial. So what do you recommend? So when it comes to being an empath and being able to identify what is yours and not yours, it is really comes down to the ability to do three things. One is to stop and pause. (laughs) Now this sounds simple, but in our fast paced lives, right? Building in that awareness that you, that noticing of yourself that you need to stop and pause is actually quite a challenging habit to develop because we're just on the go so much of the day. But it's that space where you can give yourself a minute to then start to discern, okay, what is mine and what is someone else's? So it's the stopping. That's that's the one one skill that you need to have. The second then is the discernment. And this discernment takes practice. It's like intuition, right? We have to use our intuition and and say yes to it um, enough times before we really kind of understand how our intuition speaks to us because it it shows up differently for everyone. So for example, um, my intuition shows up in in music. (laughs) Music is a big way spirit communicates to me and my higher self delivers messages to me. Uh, For someone else, it could be visuals. But the same thing is when it comes to discerning what is mine and what is someone else's. It is, um, it's like a muscle. And so you actually kind of begin to be able to intuit and discern like, yep, this is definitely my own felt feeling. And this is not, this feels like a, like a layer of extra energy that actually isn't coming from me. Um, And then the second is be able to release and let go. (laughs) And this is, um, this can be done a variety of ways, like releasing and letting go of, of someone else's energy that you've accidentally taken on, um, can take the, the shape of different practices, breath work, um, showers and salt scrubs, uh, grounding exercises, which there are literally hundreds of grounding exercises you could do, but one is just like hug a tree, get in nature. (laughs) Um, so those three things stop, notice, pause, discern and release. No, that's really good. I was sitting there thinking about like the, you know, 
as you're going through it, I, my own is like, I'm feeling something as I'm, as I'm right. Like my own experiences with other people, when they come in at you really hot, um, angry, upset, and you know, you're triggered by that because your own defense system is, you know, is on guard in there. And I know that over the course of time, and you know, that's one of the things that I also recommend to people is to be able to hit a pause button on the, on the moment, you know, as soon as you feel the body change, that's your signal, something just happened and then pause, you know, um, sometimes you're in danger. Sometimes you're not in danger. It's just a memory of it. And whatever this person's doing with their energy, their level, they're yelling, you're not in danger. They're mad. That's different than, you know, your life being threatened. And you then, you know, and I've had found the breath work works for me. Like when I start to feel it, I, I, my chest will tighten. And so the breath work is me remembering to add air to my chest. And as soon as I start to do that, and I just take these deep breaths, it's almost as if you feel the flow, you know, you're just kind of breathing in and breathing out and exhaling all of that and just let that. And, um, yeah, it's not hard. It like, it's not easy to remember to do it, especially when you're triggered and activated. But, um, I think that those are, you know, three really good, good steps for people that tend to get caught up. I mean, and, you know, and that can happen to all of us. We don't really need to have an empath label to know that sometimes we can get just trapped in depending on how intense this person is with us at the moment. Um, I think sadness and grief is one of those that it's the one where um, taking on the the grief of other people can be something that um, I think people have experienced before too. And um, they mm-hmm. call it in the field being vicariously traumatized, which is when you're, you are starting to experience the trauma of another person, you're hearing their story, you're um, in the moment with them. And they're sharing with you and it's causing your own feelings to start and your own anxiety levels to start to rise up in there. And so it is a very real thing to be vicariously traumatized by other people. And then if you're an empath, I imagine that that just then happens to you much more frequently um, than any of us, you know, may be prone to do. So those are, those are some good tips. So what are some other ways that um, you've got the Facebook group, but what are the best ways to get engaged with you? If somebody, again, is coming from this and they're thinking about themselves and they're gaining some insights on some perspectives of like, maybe I'm highly sensitive, maybe the deep feeling, maybe it's an empath, maybe the, you know, the underpinnings of my, um, my lack of desire or inability to reach out and engage more, follow through on things is because of this, you know, where do they, where do they find you? Five sites is one place, but what are the other resources that you have for people? Yeah, sure. Someone can easily hop on to fivesites.com and I have a, a link there called resources and that will open up the evolution hub, I like to call it, which has a lot of different um, toolkits and um, some of my programs and ways to get in contact with me for coaching on there, as well as on Facebook, there's the Bravery Lab, which is a private community um, that you can join. And those are, those are really the the two best ways you can um, get in contact and see, you know, see where, where you are and what, what you want to be calling in and calling out of yourself, right? This is the opportunity now to see what you get to call out of yourself. What is actually in you? right? What, what is the strength and the resilience and the beauty and the intelligence and the uniqueness that is in you that you now get to call out of yourself to put out into the world and definitely the resources on the evolution hub, which you can find at fivesites.com. The link to that (laughs) um, is available for you to, to go cruise around and and see what speaks to you. Mm -hmm. Well, cool. 
So for somebody that, um, you know, I, I like having people on who are models of what can be for somebody. And so for you to, to, to share, you know, going through this place of understanding what were the sources of this anxiety and depression and the overwhelm that you were feeling, and then turn into this vibrant communicator and leader, you know, for other people, I think is, is really is great. Um, you know, what was one of the biggest, aside from having this fantastic, you know, business that you're, you know, that you're love and passionate about, what would be one other big, um, benefit that you got from, from developing this awareness of yourself and who you are and, and owning and owning that about yourself? Hmm. I would just say it was a real sense of just finally coming home. You know, that home within myself where I knew without a doubt, I am okay. I am enough. I am enough. I am more than enough. That these unique things about me do not make me any less of a person, any less capable of leading, you know, a entire government if I wanted to go that way, right? Right. There's no limits. There's no limits. And I think that is something that really just opened up like massive possibility for me and really moved me to see myself as a leader, you know, see myself as big as Oprah, right? Like, there's no, there's no permission, like giving, needing, needing there. Right. When you have that confidence in yourself, when you have those pieces and you are home, fully home in yourself and know that nothing can shake you off your center, that no matter how crazy some things might get or how emotional you, or you might be one day or how overwhelmed that you always have this place in yourself, this steady place in yourself to come back to and then reset and go forward. I mean, you basically become unstoppable, right? Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Cool. Well, Lindsay, thank you so much. This has been a fantastic conversation. I really, I've appreciated that uh, we've connected in the world. I think that that's, you know, I, I am a person who loves the spiritual aspects of our life and, and leaning into it. And so, um, you know, I always appreciate and am grateful when the universe brings in people into my life um, and has crossed and we get to be able to grow, you know, our networks and the people that we have around us that are on similar missions and passions. And so, Um, I feel really um, grateful to met you and to be able to have this conversation with you. So thank you so much. Likewise. Thank you again for having me and um, have a wonderful day. (laughs) Cool. Thank you for listening to One Broken Mom. You can find podcast notes on my website at amiqueracone.com. And there I'll provide all links to all of the resources that we mentioned on the episode. Also, if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for other episodes, feel free to send me an email. And if you are interested in sponsoring the show, I'd love to have you be a part of the team. Finally, if you like what you hear, please share the podcast and leave a review so that others can find it. We are all here to get better together. I am the host, Ami Kurakoni, and as always, I am super grateful to have you as a listener. Until next time, have a great day.